This episode of LedgerCast is brought to you by Matcha. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash matcha to try it today. It's aggregated crypto trading. Uh, they choose from all the right liquidity pools, whether it's Uniswap or SushiSwap or Mooniswap or Balancer, wherever else, wherever it's appropriate, they do it. They make sure that you have the best price that you can get, the lowest slippage and the best fees in the market. Matcha is made by the fine folks at 0x. It's an excellent way to trade. It's the only way that I trade the curated coins that they have on their website with an extremely easy-to-use interface. Between a great interface, great experience, the ability to own your own coins, trade on a DEX, there's nothing to lose. Just try Matcha today. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash matcha. Thanks so much for the fine folks at Matcha for being a Ledger Status partner. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to LedgerCast. My name is Brian Krogsgaard. I'm here with Josh Olsowich. Hey, Josh. Mr. Brian, good to be with you. It's great to be with you. You know, our uh, Twitch streamers, we're really privileged today. We've been dinking around for like 30 minutes before we actually click record, but we're here now. We are ready to talk about markets and their sidewaysness and everything else uh, because not much has happened in the last week, has it? I mean, to me, not much has happened. Like fundamentally, there have been some events that have happened. Yeah. Um, but from a price perspective, honestly, we could take last week's notes and just do nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, when, I mean, we look. When did that up move come? Was that on Friday? That was, yeah, because that was the uh, the Square news, right? The Square. October, yeah, it was October 9th. We moved up, right? So we did kind of break out last Friday. So we were already on the move up. Since then, we've just been dinking around. Maybe we turned a prior resistance into support. Maybe. But I said this last week. I said it the week before. The slower this goes, the better. The slower, the better. If this takes another two weeks, love it. Love it. Why? Why? Because yeah. that way we're not oversold and in a parabolic up move and or overbought. Um, it's just better. The, the trend will last longer, the slower it goes. You it know? makes it harder for me to make more money on margin attempts. Well, you just you just get in and you hold it. It's the easiest trade of your life. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we've got we've got the bullish TK cross about to happen over the next couple of days. After that, you can go do anything you want. Just stay long, you know? Go fly a kite. Just stay long. Start a puzzle. Start a 10,000-piece puzzle. Um, so what's your... Let's start with price. What do you expect from here? Obviously, upside, you've got a cloud situation I want to put on the screen. We got the... We got the T- we got the cloud breakout. We got the move above the Keijin, and now we're about to get the TK cross. Is that just a matter of number of candles above the Keijin here? Uh, number of candles and sort of direction of uh, price action. So if this goes higher faster, it'll cross sooner. But the where it, where it's sitting is fine. Yeah. And at, at at the end of the day, everyone's like worried about up versus down and. Uh, you just got to look at, you got to look at this. If we're above 10K, what is there to worry about? Look at this. But on a, yeah, from a pure levels perspective, I certainly agree with you. That is a nice one. 
what is, on the cloud perspective though what's the deepest kind of retrace that you could look for to maintain the momentum uh 10.5 10.6 if we go to 10.5 10.6 then we're in trouble because we could re- well, I mean, we would re- we would fail to turn that tk back up but also we'd lose that cloud wouldn't we yeah i mean right now we're transitioning from bullish to neutral back to bullish if we drop below 10.5 we would transition from bullish to neutral to bearish right is is it not bearish if we lose 11.1 again too just like going below where the tinkin and the kijan are themselves like don't you want to walk the tinkin the whole way up you do but i mean the biggest things are like the first thing is the cloud are we above or below the cloud we're above it we're bullish some people just trade the cloud like without, straight up yeah without, without anything else which is completely doable um, so if you're paying attention to that, you're at the end of the day, that's all you really need. Honestly, the TK lines are more of like a fine tuning knob for entry and exit. So if you want to wait, like the, this is telling you get ready to go long because as soon as this cross is bullish on the TK lines, that's the time you, you enter the trade. Um, but you could just trade the cloud and you'd be fine. So I, you can't be bearish here. I, I see people on Twitter giving me all sorts of flack. I don't care. Trade your book. But, man, if you're short here. I don't think. You know, I, what's I your find, target? What's your risk? Are you hoping we break 10K? Are you hoping we go to 3K? Like I don't know. Yeah. It always, like we said before the show, it depends on your, um, your time frame. It depends on your strategy. I don't assume most people are short because they're like, macro bearish i feel like they're short because they're looking for some kind of scout back to 11k or something you know they're looking for three or four five hundred bucks i don't think they're looking for anything major i don't think that's consistent with the direction of the overall trend in terms of what's smart but i think that's what i think that's what people are doing yeah i mean i'm hearing all sorts of stuff from people as far as you know this can't break this can't break 12 there's more downside than upside um I don't know. <laughs> All sorts of stuff that doesn't really make sense based on what I'm... If, I, if you're just looking at the chart and you're trading the chart, I don't know. I don't know what to tell people, honestly. This is a once a quarter entry here. If that. We've had one, two, three, four. This will be the fifth entry in four years, something like that. Like It's an insane entry here. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, honestly. We are also seeing that reflecting itself in Bitcoin dominance, which is on a month-long uptrend now. Um, just kind of grinding up, but I feel like people are unwilling to be in alts for the most part. Yeah, alts are weird because yeah. some of them are doing some of them are doing really well, like Monero, which nobody's talking about. Monero's doing amazingly well. Yeah, but the activity in something like Monero is tiny relative to the activity that's been in like the DeFi darlings like Uni, Wi-Fi, and others. Well, define activity. Trading volume? volume. Yeah, trading trading volume. Is that more bullish then? No, I think it's bullish Bitcoin. Like when I look at alts, the ones that have been maintained some strength – 
uh, alongside Bitcoin have been Ethereum, BNB, and not much else. I can't really well, think, think of anything I mean, ma- major. Link, you got to put Link in that conversation, right? Well, yeah, in the long term, but I'm talking days. I'm not talking. I'm not talking weeks. Yeah, we're we're on a completely different page. Me and you. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking like three six months timeline. Oh, you know, like I'd be comfortable entering along like we were talking about before the show, just entering along, forgetting about it. If it gets margin called, it gets margin called. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, at this point, I'm that confident. Like, and as long as we're above ten, I'm, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Well, I'm with you on Bitcoin. I'm that's not what I'm disagreeing with. I'm saying I don't. I think people are flowing into Bitcoin because they're they're seeing they're seeing upcoming volatility in Bitcoin. Whether you're bullish or bearish, the volatility. Do you have a BBW chart? Uh, volatility is way down. So I think seeking that volatility in Bitcoin is scaring people out of alts. Like I just look at my watch list, and if you're on the video, you can see it too. Like most alt stuff is very red, you know depending on what you're looking at. And that's why, I mean, sure, Bitcoin is down 1%, but a lot of these alts have been red for many days, you know? So do you feel like BTC is acting on its own here, or this is just safe haven rotation? I think it's safe haven rotation. Like, And I, I see this reflected in my own behavior. I am almost entirely in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and even then, uh, leaning heavily towards Bitcoin over Ethereum because I'm looking for volatility in Bitcoin. And when that occurs, I think the likelihood of most altcoins keeping up in any capacity is low. Either they'll dump harder or they'll rise slower. Because I think that we'll, I think we are going to get volatility out of Bitcoin and it makes me a little nervous about the others, including Ethereum and our buddy whale in the chat, just noting that he thinks Ethereum looks worse than, than Bitcoin and on the dollar pair, I tend to agree. Like it has a little more upside, but that's a sign of it lagging. You look at it relative to Bitcoin, it honestly looks like it's rolling over after resistance under 0.033. Like it looks like it's just starting to roll down and could go all the way back down to 0.028 and it's 200-day moving average relative to relative to Bitcoin, to me. Yeah, you're looking at ETH BTC? Yeah. Like ETH BTC does not look good. Yeah, but at the same time, if there's a trade, if if there's a trade I'm certain about on the USD pair, I could care less what the BTC pair looks like, right? Yeah, and I, honestly, that's I think you can approach it that way. For instance, if you can maintain your collateral, if you're doing this in margin, if you can maintain your collateral in Bitcoin, but then get the upside of ETH USD on a margin trade for ETH USD. That's a nice way to do it. I've I've attempted that. <laughs> I've gotten stopped out three days in a row now, but I've tried it. Um, and I think I'm, I'm with you. I think that could occur. On the uh, USD chart, ETH is like a week or two behind BTC at this point, but it's still the inevitable is upside. As long as ETH can hold 350, 350 is ETH's 10K. Yeah. And... 400 is BTC's 12K? 11, 11, like 11 two. 11, oh, I was going to say like 11, not like the breakout for Bitcoin. 
Yeah, so to me, like, I'm convinced based on the Kumo breakup for BTC, based on breach of the Kijun at 11.1. We were talking about 11111 last week, I think. We're above that now. So BTC is way ahead of ETH on that, in that respect. So ETH's 400 is BTC's 11K. But again, if, if BTC is going to go up, so is ETH. The question is at what rate, right? Like you were talking about that on Twitter yesterday, which I didn't quite understand. I think what you were saying was ETH is probably going to rise to a lesser degree than BTC is here, but maybe not. I don't. I tweet too much apparently because I don't remember which ones you're talking about. All right. Well, I think the th- what it comes down to is like BTC hasn't moved up as much percentage wise as ETH has this year. Are you talking about my inverse correlation tweet? Yeah. So like if people, if you're like trying to figure out which chart to trade or which trade to take. Yeah. I don't know. So I'm, I, I'm comfortable losing profits by trading both charts and just knowing that like both are going to do well. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's fine. I still have exposure to Ethereum. I'm not saying like, yeah, absolutely not. I'm just saying I want more Bitcoin than Ethereum at the moment. Um, so uh, what I said was I think Ethereum's entering the camp of inverse correlation to other alts because I think if we're speculative on alts, I th- the trading pools are largely in Ethereum. So we're kind of leaving Ethereum to go into those other alts. So it kind of has that same relationship as Bitcoin has forever with altcoins, except now a lot of these trading pairs like liquidity pools and stuff are ETH-based pairs. And I think that Ethereum could actually hold up when there's alts blood. So if, if Bitcoin goes hot, you know, gets hot, I think Ethereum could also be hot while altcoins are not because people are moving to the more stable Bitcoin. And now in my mind, I think Ethereum is moving into that realm and it, it starts to act a little different. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. That you're not going to see these 20,000% gains on DeFi if VTC is doing something. Right, yeah. exactly. You're going to have to be uh, satisfied with your 20 or 30% gains on Bitcoin or whatever else. Yeah. And bide your time for the insanity of, you know, 100% moves in a day or whatever. I just pulled up BNB. They just had a token burn today or yesterday or whatever. They're announcing it tomorrow. I don't know. They also had something going on with the exchange that I didn't quite understand. Because there was a tweet from CZ, like, funds are safe, everything's fine. <laughs> People are like, I didn't know they weren't safe. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what happened there, but um, yeah, B- BNB looks great. Yeah, I, don't know. I have exposure to BNB uh, through the, one of the only things I'm farming is through this like pancake swap thing, which pan, pancake swap, has, the cake token is basically becoming BNB's Uniswap. It's getting the most like activity, most exchange liquidity on a DEX, that kind of stuff. I continue to think Bitcoin looks fantastic. Uh, I'm sorry, that Binance looks fantastic against Bitcoin on a weekly chart. I first talked about it back when it was at like 0.0018. And it just looks like it's part way up the move. But I think it's going to, I think uh, BNB relative to Bitcoin is going to make new all time highs, 0.004. <clears throat> which is 
still the potential to double from here, and then it could pro- meet price exploration from there. Just looking at it from a chart, I'm not talking any fundamentals. I don't really know what to think of it from that perspective, but they're still dominant in the market. Um, but I think BNB versus BTC had bottomed, and I'd be willing to be a dip buyer. I'd be willing to hold BNB here, and I'm I'm not farming anything in Ethereum land because I feel like it's it, it, all that stuff just dried up. But I'm still farming in the Binance land because most people don't even know how to go and use. Binance smart chain still. So I think the people that are over there are willing to stick with it rather than, you know, pull out at the first sign of uh, any concerns. All of which is bullish BNB to me. Yeah. I mean, if, if trading does well and centralized exchanges have listed things that are trading and those exchanges have a token, the token should theoretically increase in value. I like 038 for BNB BTC. As a target. As a target, yeah. I do too. Right back into that. Right. Yeah, right back into that prior trading block. Yeah. We got a good question from Bill388. Does it really matter for us to be in the big BTC move for people who trade alts? The profits there are much more than any BTC move. Josh, you want to take that or me? I, I'm different from you and Bill probably in that I'd rather just not stress over a position as much and not pay attention to it as much. And I feel like if I'm trading alts, I need to be awake and watching it and babysitting it at all times. Because if I'm not, it just could just disappear in a second. And I'm going to completely agree with you because, um, and I, I <laughs> you would have learned it. If but I'm assuming you weren't trading in 2017, Bill, or during any of the big, like, Bitcoin moves after big altcoin moves, which we just had a big altcoin move. For anybody that doesn't want to believe it, we just had a little alt season of some sort. And the question little is, scam, little scam season, just a little one, just, little Ponzi rug pull pyramid ape, <laughs> just some season. Alts, alts scampered. I don't know if you call it full alt season, but there was there were some big moves out there. Um. What happens is you get these these big euphoric tops, and then they go down a lot. You know, Wi-Fi went down 68% so far relative to the dollar. But this is not a practical comparison because what can happen is they can go down that or more relative to Bitcoin as well. And what we've seen so far is, let's see, Wi-Fi has gone down... 70% relative to Bitcoin. Uh, but Wi-Fi can go down 87, 90% relative to Bitcoin. Wi-Fi can go all the way back to here relative to Bitcoin easily. And Wi-Fi was the darling of DeFi stuff. Um, well, look at Comp. Look at Comp VTC. Have you looked at that chart lately? Uh, no, I'm sure it's awful. Oh, you'll love it. It's, it's great. So <laughs> even though you think like, yeah, the move is there... The move is only there when it makes sense to be there. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, you're just going to bleed. God, this is hideous. Relative to BTC, down 60% from its local top, but from its high on Binance, Comp BTC is down 68%. These can lose 80 to 90% relative to Bitcoin. And people are going to flow. The longer this occurs while Bitcoin goes sideways or up, especially once it goes up, 
People don't jump into this because they think that's where the winds are. They continue to capitulate on it. This this just goes like <laughs> it just goes like that. Uh, and you truly learn that Bitcoin is king when you're stuck in one of these and every day you're in pain while Bitcoin goes up another $100, another $200, another $500. And your crap is going sideways versus the dollar at best. And when Bitcoin dumps, your coin goes down 10% instead of Bitcoin's 1%. When Bitcoin goes up, your coin goes up like half a percent instead of up 5%. It hurts. It hurts to be in alts when it's not alt season. So the gains are there, but they are short. You have, to, you have to know when to FOMO and when the opportunity exists. And sometimes that's just not the smart play. Sometimes capital preservation, your BTC relative preservation is much more important and wait for the easier trade in the altcoin landscape. Despite alts being down what they are, I still don't think we're in the time frame where the easy trades exist. Every time I look at something and I think, oh, maybe that's a bottom, I'm like, it's much easier to just continue going down. Um, I'm looking at Tezos right now. I was like, oh, well, maybe that's a bottom. And it started to flip this low time frame moving average that I've got pulled up here. And then literally one day later, who knows what, you know, maybe Bitcoin went down half a percent that day. Well, it lost that low time frame moving average. Now that moving average is moving down. Now Tezos looks like it could make a new low relative to Bitcoin and continue to work its way down after it failed this year-long range that it had up there. That's ugly. That is hideous. So you could be sitting there holding Tezos and it continue to be worth less and less relative to Bitcoin and it's going to hurt even more if Bitcoin is moving from 10K to 14K to 16K and your altcoin is bleeding out against it constantly. Yep. Was, uh, yeah. So for me, it's just like I'll buy something with a small size except the losses. But the time duration allows me to recoup the losses and then some. So by holding it for six months to a year, like Tezos, for example, I, my thought process is hopefully at one point in time, this will be in profit, right? And you, I'm not going to stress over, I know it's down, I accept that. I'm not going to stress over it, right? And your percentage of overall capital is way smaller than what the average person that's saying, I'm going to go dance with altcoins is. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. Even somebody like me, I'm willing to put, I'm willing to put the majority of my crypto capital in an altcoin, but that's why I'm going to keep it tight. Like I can't, I can't bag hold something if I'm putting like 50% of my crypto collateral in it. You right. know, like I'm not, I can't live to a 90% drawdown if it's more than half my, my crypto. Um, yeah. That's why, that's why size and leverage and risk is all should be the initial part of that conversation. Because if you're like, you're saying, if you've got most of your, most of your capital in MTA and you're like, I'm just waiting for this baby to turn around that, that there's a difference between that. And I'm going to start buying some alts here little by little because they look like they're down a lot and eventually they're going to turn up, you know? Right. And that's why I've been unwilling to take more than a, what I call an acceptable haircut for altcoins. So for me, um, you know, again, it's dependent on, uh, a, a number of factors, but I kind of think like 
I want to set up a typical trade as my downside could be 10 or 15% because you can get a 10 or 15% candle in 30 minutes and it's like a scam wick and then it goes back up or whatever. But typically I'm going to say, all right, what's my sizing I'm enabling for myself where if it goes 10 or 15% or maybe it goes 25% and that 25% loss is acceptable relative to my overall portfolio, Right. I'm probably not going to have a 25% loss tolerance if uh, if it's like half my portfolio in it because now you just lost 12.5% of your overall portfolio. Plus, that t- while it was down 12.5%, uh, that probably means other stuff in your portfolio was also down, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it's just a mess. So, for me, it's like I'd almost rather not pay attention to that. You know, like, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of being down 25% or whatever. I just want to see like, yeah, this is down. It sucks. It looks terrible. But if you believe in the project, (laughs) you think Tezos, for example, is going to do something ever. Yeah. And if I think it has a shot, if you're putting 5% of your overall capital in altcoins, well, you can afford for that 5% to become zero and you can afford to sit in something for literally a year waiting for the crazy pump and take your time on it. Right. Like, so I look at alts the way people look at BTC who aren't in B- in crypto, you know, they say 5% yeah. of your portfolio or less in crypto. It's the same thing. And it p- potentially it gives you outsized rewards because right. Ethereum, exactly. Ethereum goes from $10 to 1400. Then yeah, it was worth holding it through a downturn. Like when it went from $10 to $6, <laughs> cause then it went to 1400. Right. Um, I don't know that we have that kind of upside in most like liquid altcoins now. I think the like we mentioned before the show, I, we ranted about VC and stuff. Bigger money is getting to them quicker, so like a thousand X is a little bit harder to come by because somebody was onto it before you and pushed up that price before it ever became available to you. Have you seen EOS or Dash BTC? It's just they just look they, like trash. They look like trash. They look like trash. I, I think they're zombie. I think they're very high cap zombies. We've talked about zombies a lot on this show, but I think we're obviously seeing activity concentrate on the Ethereum chain, and we're actively well, seeing it priced into EOS and other stuff. I mean, look at EOS. Like, good gracious, this is a weekly chart. So that is a billion dollar ICO that's done jack, in my opinion. Yeah, from a building perspective. Yeah. So back to that question from Bill, this went up 2,700%. So sure, like if you think something's going to be legit, at some point you might get that type of move if you have absolute iron hands through a bull market. You just, you have to be very patient with that and allocate the right amount of capital, et cetera. Because if you get in at the wrong time, at any given time, you could take 50, 60% drawdown, even in a bull market. Anyway, so yeah, I think uh, EOS is clearly being priced in as not being what the market has chosen. Like we can't have we can't have ten winners for networks. Like these are the these are the this is the framework, the pipes. Aren't we just pricing in EOS losing the game? Well, I had this realization the other day when I was doing I don't know, analysis on EOS. It's like the transactions are free, but. People are using EOS for DApps and, and DeFi stuff, 
but a majority of the uh, activities on ETH where it's super expensive, like you're saying. So like, even though it's not f- cheap or free on ETH, people still prefer it for some reason. Is it a developer thing? Is it a community thing? Is it a first mover mover advantage? Like, I don't know what it is, but it's clear that nobody cares about EOS. <laughs> I think it's I think it's pure network effects. Yeah. That's where the development is. That's where the community is. As much as, I mean, you're going to like cringe to hear me say Ethereum is decentralized in any way, but it's more decentralized than any of these other networks, you know? I think the the stuff on eth is decentralized uh, i don't think this i don't think eth is necessarily as decentralized as it should be that that's just like a, a nuance for me i guess but yeah even xrp is at multi-year lows just chilling yeah speaking of a zombie the zombie of all zombies really well i think <laughs> blockchains never die <laughs> you know like, as long as it's listed. As long as it's listed, there will be a chart. And at some points, you can see, you remember we looked back on some of those coin market cap charts of like Feather Coin and crap that was six or seven years old. And it mm-hmm. died for like three or four years. And then in the in the absolute height of 2017, January 2018, all altcoins were moving. Some of those old dead ones, they had these like little blips <laughs> where they like 10x'd and they were still wrecked. Versus whatever they were before, but they did have a move because they just don't die. They still are somewhere, like it's still listed somewhere, and somebody's going to go look at it and say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to anticipate a pump in this thing." It doesn't mean it matters anymore. And some Rough. Of these- shots fired, shots <laughs> yeah. fired, and some something like XRP Ripple. They made enough money as a corporation between what they raised and what they sold in their token and what they can distribute. Their cost basis is so low that they can live on developing vaporware for years. They, they'll be here for a decade, but it won't matter. It won't mean Ripple or XRP succeeded. Well, it's like another uh, – I saw the EOS announcement yesterday that they're announcing some blockchain for business or something. Yeah. Uh, Congrats, bro. Yeah, just like <laughs> I like they're like they are not interested in the price of the token. Whether or not they should be is a separate question, but it's like XRP. They say they're not interested in the price of the token, but they care about their bottom line for the company. I don't think they care about the price of the token, right? I'm sure they treat it like a nice bonus. Yeah, like, they're not they're not losing sleep over some poor sap who bought it at the highs and is just sitting here waiting for something to happen, you know. No, I'm sure like if you go into their heart of hearts, they're just like baffled by these people that are cultishly um, attached to their token price. <laughs> you know, like they're yeah. like, whereas they have no attachment to it whatsoever. If you told them here is infinite liquidity to sell at a 25% valuation relative to its current price, will you do it? How many people who have significant holdings of XRP who work at Ripple would say yes? 100%? And that's, people are going to hate for me to say this, but that's the fear I see for Link is, uh, you know, the story is a lot different for Link, but it's the same, the same supply demand issues, the same pre-mine, like it's a story as old as time at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And in order, now these can still pump, don't get me wrong, like because hype cycles 
and whatever else gets into this stuff, if it if it can possibly be turned into a pump for the coin and an opportunity for those big holders to distribute some, they will do it. Jed McCaleb, a great example with Ripple, he'll he'll do it. He doesn't have any involvement in the project. He literally just wants the free money because he got the tokens years ago. Tons and tons and tons of them. But he's not the only one at, at Ripple and uh, you know has a big bag XRP or any of these other coins. That BNB is the same way, by the way. Yeah, they're, they're, they all are. They all. They really are, are no safe uh, choices here. So you know, people I think were just like crapping all of our specific coins but <laughs> the reality is they're all like this all of them they all need they all seek liquidity and the ability to distribute for profits because all of these were printed out of thin air and someone has a cost basis that's very low um and, and te- someone gets paid in this stuff let's yeah the just, teams specifically bnb they get bonuses and whatever else but i'm sure right. xrp you know everybody you know it's all the same stuff and it can be perpetual motion that keeps it going up and it's successful for a long time like a bnb and they can have mechanisms and strategies for improving the valuation of the token by burning it and do you know including it into the way their company's operations work or whatever else um at the end of the day, though, the teams have the lowest cost basis because they print some for themselves that they just get. The VCs have the next lowest cost basis because they get them at a price that is significantly lower than anyone on the open market. By the time these things list, if you're in a hype cycle like Filecoin, like we can talk about, well, they're listing to you know pleb you and pleb me at a price that's like six, 60 times what the best price for – uh, venture capitalist was and 10 times or something the ICO buyers so they're pretty darn happy with these prices even if you buy in because you're like oh yeah Filecoin is the next XYZ and it goes down 90% guess what they are still in huge profit and you're wrecked you were just their distribution yep you're just a, a statistic <laughs> <laughs> You're the person that just helped them exit their position. And I mean, something like Filecoin, Josh, so this, what's it, what was the investor price? Somebody mentioned it earlier. Was it 80 cents or it was under, uh, just under a dollar, yeah, I think. 75 cents. For, for their cheapest, their cheapest allocations for investors. Uh, the ICO was anywhere between $1 and $6, depending on who it was. Uh, and then this thing listed after three years and the price discrepancies, depending on the exchange, were huge, but a low of like $20 and a high of 76 on FTX, where most of the volume was, but in some places it was over $100. So huge profits and then extraordinary uh, funding fees for people that went short because the people that went short worth anything were the investors that are trying to lock in 50 or 60 bucks and it's worth them to pay enormous sums of money to be hedged short. So maybe something like FTX could get some short squeezes here and there as these people continue to pay a lot of money to be short and they start to close those profits or they get pressure put on them because of you know whatever. Um, that's probably where a lot of the upward movement came yesterday is people that shorted it immediately and then got short squeezed from like $30 to $80 and had to re-collateralize or whatever else. Nevertheless, though, there's going to be downward selling pressure on this thing forever. If you look yep. at Masari, there's going to be 2 billion file coins uh, printed over the next like 15 years. So at 2 billion, 
at $50, which it was at for most of the day yesterday, that's a $100 billion implied fully fully diluted market cap. I don't care what coin you are. That is dumb. <laughs> it reminds me of the hash graph story, uh, HBAR. Yeah, I don't even remember what, again, how bad that one was, but it was bad, wasn't it? Again, we've, this is like, it's, it's like history repeats itself over and over and over. It's the same story. Like, just look at the other charts. Look at Zcash. Look at any of them. It's the same story. So that's why it's, you know, we might sound pessimistic on this stuff, but there's one link out of 10,000 coins, right? <laughs> so if you think the next link is Filecoin, which it could be, I'm not saying it can't be, but I doubt it. Um, it's just tough to stomach sitting in anything like that over a long period of time. Yeah. And, you know, people may say, well, what about Ethereum? It went from 10 cents on the sale to $1,400. Well, one, obviously it was ridiculous at $1,400 because it went down to $82 on the retrace. But even if you say from 10 cents to $350, what we are today, the actual usage of Ethereum and the actual, um, you know, Ethereum, it, it won. It won all these battles or whatever. Like, you know, like it became something that is actually used. It became a clear cut number two blockchain in the, in the world. So, and it started when it was at 10 cents. What, what, do you know, remember what the, I, what, how much the Ethereum ICO was worth? A lot less than Filecoin. I have no idea, honestly. I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, less than Filecoin. 15 million. They also did, you know, they had less pre-mine as well. <clears throat> they had, um, what was it, 60% pre-mine or something? But it's still a proof-of-work network, so it's slowly, you know, it's not straight proof of, uh, straight pre-mine. Yeah, most of these are 100% tokens, and they're just on some vesting schedule maybe. But <laughs> some, of them, some of them aren't. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Link. Link doesn't have a vesting schedule. Right. Not, it has a... Please be nice uh, to me schedule. Like BNB, it has a uh, implied contract, implied social contract. It does not have a vesting schedule. <laughs> yeah, we sound super maximalist or whatever else right now. That's not the point. The point is that we're trying to highlight the difference between in value and how you might do some fundamental analysis before you just blindly hold something through a cycle. Uh, because Bitcoin doesn't have to deal with most of this, you know, like. There was no pre-sale, the distribution and the inflation and all that was known. And you don't have to worry as much about like, oh, well, the team is going to dump on us. Now, it, Bitcoin has its own things that people watch when old coins move and, you know, when large holders sell and when miners sell or whatever else. But like those are different concepts than the team who got all of those coins at extraordinarily low prices or zero prices. Yeah. And that's when we saw DeFi popping off. That's what worried me. All these governance tokens and everything, you know, like, uh, uni, is that how you say it? I always yeah, forget. Uni. UNI. I say uni. It, uh, I, how do you expect that to hold a value? Right. Maybe. I don't know. I think Uniswap has the, a better chance than most. Is it, do you see it equivalent as like a BNB type situation? Very much so. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'd have to look at the like, but there's no burn for uni, is there? 
Yeah, that's where they're going to have more trouble. Like they're going to have to come up with policies and governance where they like burn tokens and fee- based on fees and some stuff like that that I think they're going to have a harder time doing. Um, let's see, Uni is... 573 million market cap, but I don't know what the fully distributed market cap is or what the percentage of coins. Are. Oh, here we go. Fully diluted valuation is 3 billion. And I don't think that 3 billion fully diluted is that crazy for Uniswap because it is used. Like that's, you know, we talked about EOS. EOS is not used. Uniswap has, I think, cemented itself as being like the DEX protocol unless they screw it up, right? Well, unless DAP radar is wrong, I'll bring it up right now. And it could be wrong. I'm not like an expert on DAP radar, but EOS, um, 30 day volume on new decks was 820 million. Is new decks exclusive to EOS? I don't, I don't actually know. I assume it is, but I don't even know what that means. Um, well, let's look at, let me find if Uniswap. So Uniswap had 29 billion. In 30-day volume. Yeah. So it's, you know, Nudex is still up there for EOS. So it's not like no one's using EOS. I don't think that's, like, fair. But a significantly less percentage of the volume on DEXs right now is on EOS. Whereas Uniswap's got 200 million volume in 24 hours. Yeah. And that's after a long downtrend. Like, it's down a lot in volume. Yeah, I mean, if you look at 30-day volume for for all this stuff it's all eth there's really nothing else here yeah so i think uniswap i think they're the the over the fully diluted market cap is okay for uniswap uniswap's one where i'm more like okay well when is the timing right to get back in because i think it has upside but you still need to time it right because sometimes it's a good time and sometimes it's a bad time to be in these tokens now if our altcoin hype and momentum was continued like if i felt like that was still what was occurring i'd like the prices that we already got like 250 and stuff after it went to seven eight dollars that would be where i was targeting depending on what we see from bitcoin and what we see in the market and what we see in bitcoin dominance and what we see on dexes figuring out like what's next i don't know what the right entry is but uniswap would be the type i'd be willing to enter Right now, it's getting farmed to crap. Like, yeah, you know they're they're distributing the tokens to people that provide liquidity, but a, lo- a lot of the people that are providing liquidity are providing the liquidity and then immediately dumping the uni. So it's like an amplified version of what miners would do. You know, they mine it and then they sell it, and these people are farming it on liquidity pools and then they're selling it, and they may also be hedging against the previous prices in order to secure a $3 value because they make a lot of money if it's $3, but they don't make a lot of money if it's $2 or whatever. Well, what's the break even for if you're mining it? I don't know. I don't know if that kind of analysis uh, has been done to a significant well, I, degree. I assume it's zero, right? Break uh, even is a penny, you know? Uh, well, you have to, you have the impermanent loss because you're holding either like they have four pairs that are mining like Ethereum USDT, uh, Ethereum WBTC, so you have the impermanent loss of being a liquidity provider, but the current pairs for uni are fair are stable enough to where that's within people's risk tolerance because it's you know it's a it's a crypto and a stable coin or it's you know Ethereum or and Bitcoin. 
So like the impermanent loss is no different than if they had a portfolio allocation between them. So whatever they get out of uni is just good stuff on top. Right. It's just a hundred percent bonus. Right. So I'd be looking to see like what happens as those rewards start to dwindle. Um, and I think it, it, I don't remember the cycle, maybe let's like a 90 or 120 day, like kind of push cycle in terms of that farming. And then maybe it gets smaller or maybe it can be open to new pools all of that's the type of thing that you want to think about, plus Uniswap 3.0, plus governance for how can they build more value for token holders when their team and when their investors have tokens released. If I was going to critique Uniswap, it's how much a large percentage of tokens went to investors um, who, again, they want to dump on you. <laughs> like, you know, like they want to they win from that, from that trade and take profit as they can. So all that plays into whether or not it's a good trade or not. I think Uniswap has a smarter valuation overall than many tokens because it is. I do think it is dominant and has network effects. You know what else is pretty good, Josh? We forgot to talk about it earlier. <laughs> I got excited. <laughs> it's Matcha. They're our partner in this episode and every episode of, uh, of LedgerCast. It's a great place to trade on Uniswap and other places. You can go to ledgerstatus.com slash matcha. Try a DEX today. It's uh, You get the liquidity pools. You get all the good stuff. And you they, can't mine anything, though, there, can you? Uh, no, they don't have mining there or, like, liquidity mining yeah. right now. But it is a uh, excellent way to trade the lowest fees, the lowest slippage. They aggregate the pools together. It works really freaking well. Go to ledgerstatus.com slash matcha to try it out. Uh, I think you'll like it. This is the only place I go for any of the tokens that they have. It's the only place I actually go to trade now. So I always know I'm going to get a good quote from them. And if it's one of the majors that they support, then you're good to go. They even came out with a report talking about how good it is relative to other places where you can trade, like going direct to Uniswap. So next time you're ready to dump your big old bag of Uni or Wi-Fi or whatever else, Try matcha at ledgerstatus.com slash matcha. Um, One last thing I'll say about uni, uni, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you and I, it's from a technical perspective, it's definitely bearish, but it's not bearish enough to where it looks like it's going to capitulate. You know, it doesn't have this parabolic down move. Yeah, that it, it, al- had. it already capitulated, so it'd have to make new lows and go through another one of those cycles. Right. Like, it's not bullish and it's not bearish enough for me to consider buying it so i don't know it's a no trade zone (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) that's big big no trade zone for me that's how i've treated it i think i would want to see the moving averages turn up i would want to see some accumulation volume show up um and i'd want to see some patterns start to form in order to get in without catching some new knife like some new parabolic downtrend yeah just uh I don't know. And maybe the maybe the DeFi movement is over, right? See, I don't think that's true, but I think we've learned a lot by stress testing everything with all this volume and trading and liquidity provision. We've seen a ton of uh, threads come out from all the people involved. Sam from FTX came out with a thread talking about liquidity providers and the downsides and how he thinks order books are going to be you know, here for the long haul. Obviously, he's biased to feel that way. Um, but then it kind of spawned a whole bunch of other threads. 
uh, and and long conversations between different people, including Hayden, what's his face, the creator of Uniswap. A lot of smart stuff was done, uh, said there, so I'll link to some of those threads in the show notes for people to go check out. Of course, you'll read it all. It's super complicated to understand, a lot of nuance, but they were basically talking about the efficiency for people trying to trade and people trying to make those markets and whether it's worthwhile. And uh, It's complicated, and it's difficult. I think right now, though, Uniswap is pretty good for the buyer. I don't know about the liquidity provider on most of these tokens, and I think that can be its downfall if they don't figure out how to make liquidity provision less risky on a smaller coins especially. But as a buyer, you don't have this issue of like there's, you know, say you want to buy $10,000 worth of something. Well, you have to push the price like 3 or 4% in order to do that uh, on something that smaller books or whatever based on order book situation. And Uniswap, to buy or sell $10,000 worth of stuff with 1% slippage, I don't know what the calculation is, but you really just need a little bit of liquidity and it's going to fill itself on the curve that it establishes and all its all the math that works that out, and it's pretty good for the buyer or the seller of the token for those smaller amounts. Um, and I think it's here to stay. It's like it seems like the smartest Dex way to do things, but you, they're still working on how to how to make liquidity providing work for the people that are providing the liquidity. <laughs> That's obviously a magic mechanism there. Yeah, I think. It's definitely going to be interesting to watch long term because it got really popular really quick for regulatory arbitrage reasons, which we've talked about. But yeah, I don't know if that if that can hold. You know, <clears throat> yeah, like it's just going to be the next the next thing on the next decks on the next chain that hasn't been carted in by the SEC or something, right? And at the same time that that was popping off. It's the same time that we've been seeing all of these regulatory actions. We just got more today with, you know, the FUD of the day. We got Chinese exchange FUD again with OKX. Um, somebody got arrested. They disabled withdrawals. A lot of a lot of fear in the somebody, air. So somebody may or may not have got arre- gotten arrested. A person who definitely works or created OKX, uh, who may or may not have private keys to some vault, which may or may not exist. Like it's all but it controls just, their multi-sig to do withdrawals. They had, OKX had hundreds says of Says them, says yeah. them currently. OKX had hundreds of millions of dollars of withdrawals right before that announcement. Like a lot of sketchy stuff in there. It caused a little bit of a sell-off in Bitcoin and other stuff. Um, really created the down day today. With classic China FUD, <laughs> right? Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really make a difference for Bitcoin fundamentally, but it could make a difference in terms of what happens. Like, you know, are these coins seized or are they dumped or is it hacked or whatever? Nevertheless, these types of events, whether it's OKX or the other uh, stuff we've seen come down from U.S. regulators, we are seeing plenty of reasons to push the decks forward. Yeah. So that makes me continue to be bullish on the decks and figuring out the other issues with, with dexes. I think people are finally comfortable with the idea that tr- the majority of trading can occur on on a dex because we're seeing it happen uniswap yeah, I mean, went, a I'm whole, with you. went a whole month with more volume than coinbase which is i'm with you there the problem is the fees the problem is scaling layer two layer three layer four you know that's what the binance smart chains for oh, god <laughs> i'm just kidding uh except for did the fees wanna... are great the fees are great but did uh, do you want to wrap up with legacy at all 
Yeah. Stim- stimulus over under. Is that going to happen this year? Is it going to happen by November? I don't think it it'll happen. Stimulus won't happen before the election. I don't think. I think Democrats are blocking it due to pol- politics. Um, and I think they'll succeed in doing so, but they don't seem willing to move. And uh, Trump is flailing around absolutely anything he can to try to get elected. Uh, we'll see what happens. Like, yeah, I guess my view is a stimulus is inevitable after the election. Yeah, I agree. So that should be bullish for crypto. I am still, I am bullish on a election pump. I, I don't think we're going to have some big dump because of the election. I think people will just be glad it's over. And I do think that, especially if um, Congress is swept along, like if the White House and Congress, if everything turns blue, you're going to see a lot of money printing, which is the same well, thing Republicans did. So it's like, I love, I just love how uh, there's like complaints of, high taxes and stuff with, with Democrats. And then you look at market performance under Democrats versus Republicans and the market performance is actually better under Democrats than Republicans. So it's not meant to be a political show here, but no, but it's just funny. It's like, <laughs> if you look at the facts of what's happened historically, regardless of taxes, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, neither party is exactly, like no, this hard is like, on Wall Street. <laughs> you know, like, no, exactly. Well, that's that's what it comes down to. You know, they're both they're both pro Wall Street, yeah, pro pro capitalism. Biden, pro Biden, I saw Biden tweeted today, and it was like, let me get one thing clear: if you make less than four hundred thousand dollars a year, your taxes won't go up one dime, or something like that. Yeah, I think that's. I think it's safe to say that that's most people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but there's still an inverse correlation with Dixie. There's still a strong correlation with gold, strong correlation with SPX and NASDAQ. I'd like to see that correlation decline if BTC is going to make a move. I think it's going to need to. I felt but like there was the a little time, bit of a decline recently. Did you see that? I mean, it's moved down over like the past week. But but if we get a stimulus, every it's going to be risk on everything again because the dollar is going to be garbage, right? Yeah. Specifically, what I think I saw, if I can remember correctly, was low time frame stuff, like really low time frame stuff on the dollar was moving up a bit. And at the same time, the uh, S&P 500 was also moving up. I think it was as – oops, ran the ad again. <laughs> um, so I think it was as the gap was filling on the S&P yesterday. The S&P was moving up to fill the gap, and at the same exact time, the dollar was kind of trending upwards as well. Uh, and I found that interesting, and I kind of thought, well, if we continue to see the dollar moving up after the S&P fills the gap, that would fascinate me too. Um, and what we're seeing now is the S&P is down a bit and it's still up for the day, but it kind of closed the gap in the other direction while the dollar has been looking a little strong. So if we see the dollar move up here again and we see the S&P recover, like, I don't know. I'll, I'll be interested to see if the dollar can move up a little bit and it's not bearish for for stocks. Because to me, that just kind of tells me this is just low time frame dollar stuff before a move back down, you know? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, like you said, everyone just wants the election to be over with. Sadly, I don't think we're actually going to know the results till 
after mid November. So we could have another month plus of this. So that's fair saying. I think that could be bearish. Like if we're talking about what's not bullish, like unless it's just something so dominant, different from what we anticipated, then, you know, if it's just a clean sweep and just absolute domination, mm-hmm. that would, that would, I think be really bullish for markets. I think if we do have this contested election situation, we don't know for a month and it's, hanging chads all over again, then uh, I think that would potentially put turmoil in the markets between the day of the election and whatever, January. Yeah. Yeah, just waiting for 2021 already, right? Yeah, I still think the fractal on the dollar from uh, 2018, the end of 2017, and the beginning of 2018, which was the crypto top, uh, I think I think that still looks really good. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Corona. The second wave is looking like it's going to be worse than the first wave. Yeah, they do seem. I, I've been I've not even seen it really in the news. I've been seeing it more in football, like the number of teams that are having to shut down operations and having positive cases, even though they're doing a ton to try to like keep it out. That yeah. co- that concerns me. Yeah, so still a bit of variability. Investors do not like uncertainty, and there's plenty of that left till the end of the year here. Yeah. All right, so altcoins in 2018, the, alt, the post-Bitcoin top, whatever, the dollar really bottomed at the end of January 2018 and corresponds to the Bitcoin bull market so cleanly to me. The primary move for the bitcoin bull market the dollar went down 12 percent during that time it makes me think the dollar correlation was there before same now may 2020 to now the dollar's down seven and a half percent and bitcoin has been up i I (laughs) I think the macro dollar is more impactful on Bitcoin. Bitcoin's high beta inverse dollar than we give credit for. So Josh and I will continue to watch the Dixie. Yeah, but overall, I think if nothing crazy happens, which isn't saying a lot, but if nothing crazy happens between now and the end of the year, I think we're going to be looking at much higher prices in crypto. And a lower dollar, in my mind. And a lower dollar. Yeah, I agree. <sighs> Let's leave it there. You have some... What was that chart that you have up? I tried switching yours and I forgot. Oh, this is just Dixie again. Okay. I got nothing. Check me out on YouTube. Check me out on Brave New Coin. Tons of articles and videos every day. Go Your ahead. source for trading information. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Also, give us a rating on iTunes or wherever else we love those we need your ratings and your reviews help people find our podcast whenever they're looking for crypto information bye bye in the blink